if I can walk up to somebody who I think that I it falls in the ideal customer profile and I tell them about it and their face does not immediately light up, if I get that signal over and over again, I'm not building it. If I see their face light up and it's over and over and over again, and they go even farther and they're like, when can I get that? I'm trying to build that as quickly as possible. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Our sponsor for today's show is Affinity Group, Affinity Staffing. So if you're looking for some staffing support, get some great Canadian talent, visit affinitygroup.ca slash SME, and one of their team members will set you up for a conversation. And today I get to speak with Adam Adam Robinson, who is the CEO and founder of retention.com. Adam, what's happening today? Hey, every day is a new adventure. No freaking kidding. I was looking at your LinkedIn. I was looking at all the stuff that you've been up to that you're doing now. Uh, GrowingRetention.com over the past couple of years, like to crazy numbers. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you? And I think you're calling from Austin today. So yeah. I am calling from Austin. Yeah. Well, I live in Austin, Texas. We'll start there. I had my first child 11 months ago. So that's like a personal bit of information. It's just so fantastic. And I'm on my second company. It's called retention.com. We sell into the Shopify ecosystem and we help people solve problems related to their on-site identity. So if people hit the store and they don't do anything, how are you supposed to communicate with them again? Mm -hmm. Right. And other problems are popping up with privacy changes at Apple, where even companies like Facebook and TikTok And these email providers, they can't track people longer than seven days, which is a huge problem. So we can track people for six months, 12 months. So this is the type of thing that we do. And I'm doing a build in public effort. We're at 20 million ARR, we're bootstrapped. Team size is around 50. So those two things are what I do. I don't really do anything else. (laughs) I mean, 20 million ARR for those of you playing at home is pretty significant deal, especially if you're about four years in. One of the cool things, obviously, I wanted to chat with you because you're a founder. So growing from zero to 50 or zero to 20, depending on how you look at things, pretty cool. You've had a lot of cool experience. Obviously, the internet marketing space or just overall internet space has evolved over 20 years. And what I find interesting as a founder slash like marketer by trade is how the world of marketing is evolving real fast over the past couple of years, like largely driven by like the privacy, the remote work kind of post-COVID world, I think gave it a shot in the arm, no pun intended. And then just like everything that's going on with being able to attract and target consumers. One of the things that I read was, hey, we do really well as a company, your company, because you understand the product market fit. So I guess my first question to you is, what is your overall approach or mantra to customer attraction, customer retention? And we'll go from there. So this is a strange one, but my approach is that every situation is super different. And what lurked last time and what works this time is, is going to be totally different. So experience is good inspiration and other people's experience is good inspiration, but it's not prescription. So I try to approach 
every situation, this is a very like caveman way to approach it, but like we're working on a new product right now. If I can walk up to somebody who I think that I it falls in the ideal customer profile and I tell them about it and their face does not immediately light up, if I get that signal over and over again, I'm not building it. If I see their face light up and it's over and over and over again, and they go even farther and they're like, when can I get that? I'm trying to build that as quickly as possible. So that's like my personal barometer for the early stage of product market fit. Then you need to like deliver what you're talking about and it needs to produce enough ongoing value where people start keep paying for it, right? But yeah, I mean, my philosophy is just, it has to be, the one sentence description has to kind of like stop your ideal customer profile in their tracks. It's got to be something new. It's got to be something different. It's got to be something way better that they really need. The more acute the pain is, the better, that kind of thing. I get that. But what I think is really neat about like, let's call it product market fit. So if you're looking in the just marketing space, that's critical. But I think all leaders have a version of product market fit that they're looking for. It's an initiative that they're working on. It's something that they're trying to get across the line. And I do think that the caveman example of is if the person's face doesn't emote, then what you said hasn't landed. There is no kind of inspiration. It hasn't brought life into the person. And so whether it's you're trying to sell something, whether you're trying to push a project along, whether you're trying to get buy-in for your strategy, making sure that whatever you're saying, and I love that one sentence, hey, problem statement has to hit them is critical. The other thing that I think was really important for leaders, our listeners, you to remember is that what worked before won't necessarily work again. And so I'm go as far as say probably won't. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'll ask you about that. So my thought when I heard that was as a leader or as somebody who's kind of been in the seat for a while, you're like, hey, I've gotten used to it. You kind of get into a flow. You've been there, done that. We have some leaders that we talk to that are kind of arguably less coachable. And they say, like, I know everything. I've seen everything. I know how this is going to go versus approaching it with a beginner's mindset. So you took it as far as it probably won't work again. Give me your rationale, your thought behind that. And, and how do you employ that as a CEO, not just as a person doing the work, but how do you drive that forward with your team? So my COO is like a very experienced, he's worked with like 20 B2B companies and like really high, like at the executive level, trying to get them to, to grow. And one of them was Zoom Info. One of them was Apollo.io. You know, he was like co-CEO of Apollo.io. He was working Zoom Info for eight years. He says that two kinds of people generally are capable of creating something truly exponential. And it's usually very young people or an older entrepreneur who has been, who has had this mindset their whole career and been successful their whole career. He's like, a lot of people get stuck in the middle. If there's like a 30 year old that has made $10 million some way, they're not many times thinking in a way and taking the type of crazy risks that would lead to a truly exponential outcome. I mean, I always try to have four or five totally insane experiments going on that could be a thousand X. I mean, that's kind of how we discovered all of the stuff we work on now. And a lot of it doesn't work. In fact, almost all of it doesn't work. But I think it's just like continuing to throw spaghetti against the wall and having that mindset that like the world is changing so fast, your ability to do anything on any 
platform that you would reach anyone is so different today than it was 18 months ago. That is the mindset that it takes to be successful at anything these days. Would you say that that is, sorry, like let's say there was a dichotomatic world where there is like the incremental and then the transformational. And for you and your business, having grown so quickly, so fast, and in that world, I call it the tech internet world where things are scalable much easier. Again, that's a generalization that's probably right. false, but is that what you say? Like, hey, you got to come in here and we're looking for home runs, home runs, not home runs only, but like, how do you foster culture? How do you foster that thinking? And how do you balance the big failures that are required to predicate big successes with the operational wins that need to happen every day to keep the lights on? I think about it as like, there's two parts of the business. There's the operational part that's our current business. And then there's the part of the business, which is the next like S curve, right? It's like, you bang your head against the wall and then all of a sudden it's going straight up and then it peters off at some point when you like reach your TAM or whatever or penetrate the cross the chasm, however you want to say it. I think you need to be working on your next S-curve as the first one starts happening. And in my opinion, that's just like a bunch of different experiments. The way our organization's set up and for a tech company, it's all about product. It's product and then after you have what the product is, it's go to market. But like I'm super involved in these early stage experiments. I'm kind of the one that comes up with them all. So there's part of the org that's doing that. And then sort of everybody else is doing the, let's make the most of today's business that we can. That's just how we do it. Again, it's going to be totally different in every shop, right? Like, Absolutely. No, I mean, I guess that's the, the thing that I hear goes sometimes. CEOs, inspirational, no, visionary CEOs can be the bane of certain people's existences because you have that balance between like the COO, for example, who's like, hey, we need to do this this yeah. week. And then there's the CEO who, hey, they're pushing the boundaries, they're moving everything forward. And in certain organizations that there is no balance and it frustrates the hell out of people. And yeah. in other organizations, sounds like yours, you figured out a way to like not separate those two parts of the businesses, but have clear delineation and equilibrium between the, hey, the day-to-day work and then the big picture strategic, how are we going to get that next piece of growth? And it sounds like you've been able to do that successfully. So what did you do? Did you set out the roles, responsibilities clearly? Did you just say, hey, I want to be here and I need somebody to do that? What were the steps that you took so that our leaders can yeah, I mean, processize better? A, the COO also thinks this way. So he's very involved in the part of our business that is this wildly experimental part of it. But I think that's exactly right. There's just a very clear delineation aside from us too. Nobody's working on really both parts of it. We have like the entire team that's working on the today part and we have other teams that are working on the other parts. I mean, that's neat because I think it's where I've seen teams struggle is where they're expected to do both or they have such a broad set of activities that it's hard to think in both ways. It's hard to do tasks and you're kind of expecting all things from all people, but that's not realistic. So it's cool to see that you've separated that out. Okay, let's take a step back. We're talking right now, you're at retention.com, you're kicking butt, you had a previous email or an exit in one of your businesses. If I look at your presumably 20-year career, what are some of those lessons that you learned either the hard way or some stuff that really stuck with you that's kind of informed your leadership of people, how you've built teams, how you've collaborated, and if there's any kind of like lessons learned that you're like, oh, I don't want to do that again, happy to hear those as well. So, I mean... I've learned so many lessons, I don't even know where to start. I would say the most recent one, like 
I was running this super, super lean until last October. And then it appeared as though we really honed in on an ICP and there was a land grab to be had. We needed to hire a lot of go-to-market people very quickly. And we just did it way too fast. And I was like desperate and like started, I basically lost the plot with growing responsibly and being frugal and all of these things that I consider to be very important. We're bootstrapped. We didn't have a big bank account balance because we were paying dividends. So there was only so much damage that I could do with that mentality. But people who sell what we sell into who we sell to have experienced a tremendous slowdown from the first quarter when I was doing all this. Mm -hmm. So like I hired a bunch of people and it just stopped. In hindsight, it would have been nice to go a lot slower. And the sense of desperation that I had turned out to be as it always is, you know, the FOMO feeling. You make bad decisions when you have the FOMO feeling, right? Mm -hmm. So I learned a lesson to not lose sight of who we are is a really good way to put it. And like run the business that I would most admire, right? Because why else would? It doesn't make sense any other way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's my business. Why would I run it in a way that was anything short of something that I would look at and be like, that's a great fucking business. So that was the most recent one. Is that enough? Do you want another? Oh, I mean, I'm sure. Thank you, sir. I have another, but yeah. let's just look at that one. It's obvious looking backwards, but yeah. at the front, and it's interesting because if you were bootstrapped, what I, what I see is really tough is companies that have like private equity, private equity invested companies, they have that external pressure. The board's putting pressure yeah. on them and they're just like, hey, like you've got to get the juice. Whereas here, you're just like, I don't know if it was ego. I don't think it was just, but it could have been something. But you have that driver to like, hey, I've got to win or I want to win or that yeah. mentality. Whereas going through it, you're like, oh, looking back, you're like, well, shit, that was probably not the right thing to do. But you can right. only learn that lesson looking backwards. So yeah, some version of it was the right thing to do. Just the fury and desperation with which we did it was not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it takes undoing and we're undoing it and whatever. But you learn because like I'm a believer of the same cause, like the root cause of this current, call it failure or learning, was probably the same thing that made you successful. Like you've probably done a similar-ish thing in the past and a couple of them hit. And the only yeah. way that you can get to that level of success is because you're willing to take that failure. So this time it wasn't right. There's going to be another time where like, hey, I'm the smartest guy in the world. Like, look at me. I executed on this perfectly. Sometimes it doesn't work. And then my friend and financial advisor said, hey, it's a speeding ticket. You went fast. And this time you got busted. You know, in other times you're going to go and speed in your mm -hmm. business and it's going to work out great. And so I like uh, that metaphor. Makes me feel better about being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a prerequisite. I'll turn the knife a little bit on that one. Given that you did that, and I think that every leader has more mistakes than they can kind of remember. How did you address that with the team? How did you basically say, hey, I made a mistake or I did something that didn't work? I think that's probably a better way to look at it. How did you kind of course correct internally? How did you have that conversation? And how did you get your team back on track? Yeah, so... I think it was pretty obvious to everybody that like we had these euphoric numbers in the first quarter and it stopped in the second quarter and we had to get a little bit smaller and we did. And then I think I just fairly clearly articulated something similar to what I said to you. It's like, I view a great business as a highly capital efficient, highly profitable, solidly growing enterprise. We are in control over that. Everybody should want to work for a company that's run as a tight ship, right? We're going to make more and spend less every month for the rest of the year. 
here's the profitability goals. So that was kind of my way of just being like, I take the responsibility. I was the main actor encouraging this, making it all happen. And I'm reading everything I'm doing in. Everybody else needs to also. And we're going to get back to who we were. Right. I love it. You, you yeah. can't argue with fundamentals of business. I think what's really cool about it is you say, hey, like, what are the fundamentals? You let the team know, talked about it. You owned it. There's so many organizations. I mean, now we're kind of mid-2023. But if you look at all the rifts that happened, it's because they grew too fast. Like, so you were not the only person that tried to do that because you see the possibility and you say, Hey, like, let's do that. And sometimes it doesn't work, but I think it's really cool and a great lesson for all leaders to say, Hey, there's things that don't work. Sometimes you own it, you get back to the fundamentals and you grow. And again, like growing to 20 million in four years, it's like the ARR is pretty freaking awesome. So kudos to you. It sounds like you got a great team. As we finish up, is there anything that you want our listeners to know either about retention.com, about how to be a leader that like learns or just anything else that you want to share? or plug before we finish up? Well, yeah, if, if you happen to be a Shopify founder and listening, check us out at retention.com. For everybody else, just keep throwing spaghetti against the wall. That's my advice. I love it. Where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about the work that you're doing and, I, and all the podcasts you do? Yeah, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn handle is Retention Adam. My Twitter handle is Retention Adam. So between those two, you'll get more content than you ever dreamed of. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. If you want more of Retention Adam, check yeah. him out online. I'm actually really- I'm making a docuseries called Billion Dollar Challenge about this. 10-minute episode every week about this being in the middle of all this furious scaling or whatever. What had you want to do that? Last question. We'll finish up. So like, I just really feel like media around companies is changing. And the people who buy our product are business owners. And I had never like just a wildly transparent, this is what it's like being in the middle of this shit show, like really trying to go for it. Like I hadn't seen a lot of stuff like that. And I found a girl who's really good at sort of putting this stuff together. It's super high quality. It's really incredible what they're doing. And that's a cool thing. It's on all my social profiles. You can just click on it and sort of binge three 10 minute episodes or whatever. There's seven or eight now or whatever. And it like, I'm being pretty honest about what it's like and like what sucks and what's cool. <laughs> and and after 30 minutes, it's like, I'm on that guy's team. That's sort of the goal. That's why you never know who is going to binge it and be like, I'm on that guy's team and what effect that might have someday. So I did it for an inbound trust building engine that was like very different than what I perceived anyone doing in sort of anything adjacent to who we're selling to or whatever. Cool. I think that's super smart. I love it. I think if you look at what Drive to Survive did to F1, Adam Stocky series will do to a retention.com. I, hope I think so. as we look at the future of brands, I think it's just like that really connection with the individual person. And we could do a whole other podcast on, on individual CEOs and brand building, other Kylie Jenner and all the rest. But anyways, Adam Robinson, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a blast. I had so much fun. I learned lots and I wish you all the best moving forward with all the stuff that you're kicking butt on. Thank you very much. Great to be here, Anthony. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for joining, Adam. Folks, as you listen to this and as you think of your own leadership, you know, that balance of throwing spaghetti on the wall, trying to figure out what fits and what doesn't, but then also being able to own that and drive that forward with your team in an effective way. So whatever you do today, make sure that it works both for you and the people that you're leading. So thank you again, Adam, CEO, founder of retention.com. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership podcast. Thank you, Affinity Staffing Group. You're the best. I hope everybody has a great day and see you next time. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.